0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message.
1: Awesome. Well, I want to get into the message today. We are actually wrapping up our series today called Encounters with Christ. And uh, how many have enjoyed it? Just raise your hand. Just make me feel good. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> No, honestly, uh, I've had lots of feedback, people saying, Pastor, I really enjoyed this series. And I really did, too. I enjoyed putting this together. Pastor Chris and I have been working back and forth, hand in hand with things and digging digging up information and different things. And it's just been so cool because isn't it great sometimes to, I guess, read layers Deeper than you normally would in Scripture, and to see the history and to see these different points in time. And so, again, today we're going to wrap this up. We've been looking. If this is your first time even hearing this, we're looking at different Bible characters who had encounters with Christ. They had moments, whether it was, uh, you know, their adult life, whether it was a lifetime, whether it was just a one chance chance in quotes, air quotes, meeting. How many know we call it divine appointment, right? Even a chance meeting that radically changed their lives. And so, you know, some of the people that we've talked about, they've been people that maybe we're familiar with, but we've also tried to find some that maybe we weren't so familiar with. And so today I want to do that again, because I do believe that as we look at these real-life examples, it can help us navigate our own encounters, our own intersections, if you will, with Christ in a deeper and meaningful way. And so today I wanted to take one uh, that was... It was very interesting for me to, to look into because you don't hear a lot about this guy, but his name is Malchus. Say Malchus. He's mentioned in one scripture in the Bible. And so I'm going to look at this today. Encounters with Christ, Malchus in the garden. Very specific. He's in a garden, and we're going to look at that right now in John 18. So turn there with me, John 18. You can follow along on the screens. You can also follow along on the YouVersion app. Just go into the More tab, select Events, and you should see right there, Faith City, Michigan campus. All the notes are there for you. You can add your own notes. You can save it so you can study it later. It's awesome. Say, it's awesome, Pastor. John 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, now just a little bit of, of, uh, I guess, background. This is right after the Passover meal. We call it the Last Supper. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, say a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, say, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So right off the bat. I want us to see here, again, we can read so quickly over things. This was a hangout. This was a normal place that they would go and find peace, find prayer, find fellowship together. Verse 3, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there. Came where? The The garden. We're on it, Bruce. I love it. He came there, look at this, with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Now, if this doesn't start to draw a picture, have anyone even ever seen a medieval movie or a TV show or a series? So can you picture this? I mean, people all garbed up. They got torches and weapons. When this usually is approaching you, it's not a good thing. You're usually like, whoa, what's going on here, right? So imagine this. Put yourself in this place. Jesus, therefore, I love this next line, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? Jesus is just so cool, right? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I think it's interesting that John puts this little tidbit in there. Verse 7. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? <laughs> what, what, what happened to him? Did they get up in a daze? Like, whoa, what's going on? He's like, okay, guys, let me, let me walk you through this. Let me help you. Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. What's Jesus say? I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these, talking about those with him, the disciples, go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, (laughs) say, hey, Peter. How many love Peter? He was a go-getter, wasn't he? Having a sword, Uh uh-oh, that's the first issue right there. Shouldn't give Peter a sword, probably. He drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. One moment, Malchus is mentioned here, which makes you dig as a preacher to go, who is this Malchus, what's up, what kind of history can I find, right? So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath, Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Now this is John, the Apostle John's account. We also have accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke In fact, in all four Gospels, Malchus is referenced as the servant of the high priest who actually had his ear cut off by Simon Peter. What a great way to go down in history, right? However, it's only the Gospel of John that specifically names Malchus and Simon Peter in the story. If you look back at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it only recounts the incident, but doesn't mention the specific names. Now, there's some scholars who actually suggest, this is interesting, that Peter wasn't, like when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written, they call it the synoptic gospels. When those were written, Peter was still alive and it was in circulation. So in order to not bring something down on his head, it wasn't until he passed away when John wrote his gospel that they actually included the names. Otherwise, there could have been you know, a fear of retribution by the Jewish authorities. I just think that's interesting. So in, the, in three accounts, we hear of the incident, We know it's the high priest-servant, but in John's gospel, one verse, we see the name Malchus. Say, Malchus. Who was Malchus? Well, like every other week, with just digging deep and finding and looking in the archives, we once again found historical footage of the testimony. You guys laugh every time. Don't you trust me? That's right. So right now, just check out the screens. Let's hear the testimony of Malchus.
0: I served an unapproachable God. While I, I served the high priest that served an unapproachable God. But everything changed in that one night. Everything changed in one night. I was drugged to the garden and then my ear. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. I was there in the garden with Judas. Judas knew exactly where Jesus was going to be, and we were all there waiting for him. It was crazy that night. His disciples were with him, but I saw Jesus. I I was very close to Jesus, and you could tell he was visibly upset. And uh, Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek, and I was standing so close that I heard Jesus call Judas friend and that's the last thing I heard because then moments later I heard nothing I, I saw the flash of a blade come toward my face and, and I felt blood streaming down and then it got quiet and then I got dizzy and then Jesus he, he touched me like I said I heard all the stories about Jesus, and I've heard all the stories about how Jesus healed people with his hands. There was this one time he he healed a person with, with dirt and spit. And so many people, he just healed them with his hands. But it wasn't his hands for me. It was the way he looked at me. It was his eyes. That's what broke me. His eyes were filled with compassion and grief and joy. And when he he pulled his hand away, my ear, I mean... That night, everything I heard about that man had changed forever. They had a mock trial for him. the whole night was just set up to condemn him. And he didn't say a word. He, he just felt sorry for us. There was the sentencing, there was, there was Pilate, uh, the crucifixion, and then there was an earthquake. And then the veil. I was in the temple. I was in the temple when the veil was was ripped in half. Do you know what that means? I mean, even even I knew what that meant. God had invited us all in. The unapproachable God was now approachable. God was on the move.
1: Interesting, huh? Interesting to get a different perspective of where he was. And as we do every week, just because this is the last week, it's not any less special. I want us to try to put ourselves into the feelings, into the humanity of Malchus. What was Malchus feeling in this moment? This one moment, this one encounter. With Christ, and as we've been doing every week, we're going to look at the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how in this encounter with Christ. So, the who we have heard a bit of testimony there from Malchus, but who was Malchus? Well, we know this that the high priest uh, during the part uh, during this part of history was a man known as Caiaphas. Now, just like any high priest, he had servants who would tend to his affairs and his responsibilities. And so, Malchus was one of his servants who was called upon to represent Caiaphas in certain situations when the high priest himself didn't want to bother with physically being present. We can even see this today with, you know, ambassadors who represent the United States. It might not be the president there, but someone else is representing. And so, this was really his job. And so, oftentimes, the servants of the high priest would have to attend jobs or, or functions that maybe weren't so glamorous or maybe that were you know, done at an inopportune hour, kind of like this time. This was in the cool of the evening. And so such was the case with Malchus. He was summoned along with temple police and Roman guards and other authorities as part of this mob who was heading to this garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's on the Mount of Olives. And they went under the cover of darkness... During the night of the Passover feast, I was thinking about this. Why didn't Caiaphas go? Well, he certainly wasn't going to miss the Passover meal. And I don't believe he wanted to be moved out of his chambers during the cool of the evening. And so what does he do? Enters Malchus. Malchus could go in his place and represent him, I should say, as his ambassador. Now, what's interesting about this name linguistic specialists suggest that the name Malchus was just a really common name, kind of like Andy. There was a lot of Andys running around, right? Good ones, bad ones. I think I'm a good one. How about you? Peters, Johns, you know, Sam. I don't know how popular that is anymore, but just a really common name. And Malchus was a common name among those who were living in the Nebetean Arab territory located near modern-day Jordan. And so, Even archaeologists would would frequently find these inscriptions in this part of the world that would suggest that Malchus was just a common, everyday name for this time. So Malchus, we could take from archaeology and from this history, may have been one of these Arab slaves from the deserts east of or south of Judea. Now that's interesting to me, that the priests would take servants or slaves to do their bidding. Interesting. Because if you go all the way back even to the Old Testament and you look at the, the Israelites, weren't they didn't they have an exodus from slavery? Right? And, and what, what was in their song and their sayings? Never forget where you came from. Why? So you would never do this to any other. And just like every other empire, just like every other nation, what did they do? Slavery, slaves, people doing their building, bidding. So even in You know, and again, I don't know if Malchus maybe came to the Jewish faith at some point, turned his life around, but we can see that they're servants of the high priest. So that's the who. That's who Malchus was. Even his name, I mean, if his name was just Andy or Andrew, it'd be very common, right? But there's something about what happens to him that day. So that's the who. What about the what? What was going on here? Well, we know that Judas Iscariot had left the Passover meal, which we know as the Last Supper with Jesus and the other 11. And he's now on his way to begin the process that would lead to betraying Jesus. How many are familiar with the story? And so we know that he leaves. Now, we also are familiar with, we've talked about this several times throughout this series, that the Passover was the one festival of the year that brought this massive amount of people into the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Do you realize that just a few days before this arrest, just a few days earlier, the masses encamped throughout the city, right? They actually celebrated Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus entered the city on a donkey and they, they put down palm branches and cloaks and there were shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna. Remember this? So it makes me think because, you know, a lot of times when I, I talk about the story of that, I'm like, man, within one week, they had turned against Jesus. But I think about the way that the religious people went about capturing jesus think about this the jews who packed jerusalem on this night they had just celebrated this entrance of jesus and i thought about what if this would have incited a riot if they thought jesus was being mistreated maybe in this case it was better to go quietly into the night uh, when the masses were inside you know the moon was in the air than the risk provoking a rebellion or a riot by making this arrest during broad daylight. You ever wondered why it wasn't in broad daylight? Uh, you think about it like this and insurrections can get really, really bloody when emotions start to run high. I mean, again, anyone's seen a show or a movie where insurrections happen? It's not good. Anything to do with swordplay. Whenever I watch those movies, I just am like, these soldiers were like, wow. They weren't 4,000 miles away with a drone in safety. I'm just, I mean, think about, I mean, hand-to-hand combat. It's just like, whoa, this is some crazy stuff. And so they wanted to arrest Jesus, but they certainly didn't want this to happen. Of course, the religious leaders brought along some Roman soldiers just in case. The exact number, we don't know. However, it was enough to keep the peace and make sure that as they made this arrest, that things didn't get out of hand. Are you with me? And because the Jewish leaders of the temple police were in charge of arranging this arrest, the servant of the high priest would be near the front lines to represent Caiaphas. Someone had to be present. Now, the high priest could be, but even in this situation, this wasn't the safest of situations. They didn't know what they were you know, in for. They didn't know what was going on. And so, guess who enters? Malchus. And think about this. He would have a front and center view of all that was about to take place in the arrest of Jesus. In fact, his proximity to the action almost cost him his life when the sword of Simon Peter swung through the night air. Now, let me just say something here because it's easy to go, Wow, Peter, good job. What? You cut his ear off. Well, how many know Peter was a fisherman? He wasn't a soldier. He probably didn't grow up learning how to use a sword. I don't think Peter was going for the ear. When you watch these medieval shows and movies and series, they're usually going for the what? The head. I think Peter missed. But he got a good chunk of ear. We can see from the testimony. I mean, it went from hearing to not hearing to dizzy to suddenly healed. There's a lot that trans- transpires and happens in this little small bit of time. So that's the who, that's the what, the when. It's always important to know when this was happening. So this act by Peter that caused Malchus to lose his ear was on the night of Passover after the Thursday evening meal was complete, and Jesus and his disciples were retreating to the Mount of Olives. Now, I really would love to, I just said this to you, Kristen, the other day, I have said it several times, I'd really love to go on a Holy Land trip. Has anyone ever been? man, It would just be so amazing to just kind of see some of those places where Jesus and the disciples were and Paul was and that. Maybe we should plan a trip sometime. That would be so cool. But there was this common rhythm to head to the Garden of Gethsemane for quiet moments of prayer and fellowship to the end of the day. We can see by Scripture this was a normal place that they would go. Now, some scholars suggest that due to the massive amounts of people inside and around the city at this week to celebrate Passover, that Jesus and his friends may have camped in the olive groves, just outside the city. So, you know, they didn't have to be in the midst of everything going on, but yet they were close enough to participate in the celebration and the festivities. Now, here's another thing that's interesting. If you look at the time frame, and this really, this win is important to me. Passover was always accompanied by a full moon. Always by a full moon. So on the evening that Jesus was arrested, more than likely the light from the moon would have been plenty of light for the mob to see without the aid of torches and lanterns. So that was my first clue to go, there's something going on here. What more is going on? Because Have you ever done that? Sometimes I've gotten up in the middle of the night, you know, say 2 in the morning or something, and I'm thirsty. So I go to the kitchen, and the kitchen window, there's such a bright light, I thought maybe someone left the porch light on outside. And so I'll look out and go, no, it's not on. And then I look up, and woo, it's like the moon is just shining. That's how it was. It was super bright. So why did they have to bring torches? And lanterns, because we see in verse 3 of John 18, it says, The men headed to arrest Jesus as Judas led the way, and they were carrying both weapons and lights. And I thought to myself, How ironic that they brought torches and lanterns to capture the light of the world. Just little things that I, I notice in here torches and lanterns to capture the light of the world. And they brought weapons in order to arrest the Prince of Peace. Do you see how the world thinks differently than the kingdom? I mean, they're used to what every reaction would be when you're being sought after for arrest, But they didn't know who they were dealing with. This was Jesus, the light of the world. This was Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And so they were bringing the torches and lanterns. And this is why I believe they did. They probably thought upon arrival that Jesus would try to run and escape well, the best thing for that is some torches because then you could search the branches of the trees, you could look behind the foliage in the garden because maybe they were trying to hide. See, I'm trying to put this into a real-world idea. I want us to see what's going on here. What's going through their minds, but also through the mind of Malchus and Jesus? Why did they bring weapons? Well, most likely they thought that there would be a fight among his followers. I mean, normally... When you go to arrest someone who would be seen as an insurrectionist, if his boys are with him and they were brandishing weapons, guess what? There's going to be some bloodshed tonight. So I want us to get that feel. Again, have you ever watched a show where, you know, there's an envoy of of soldiers and they have to meet, and even though they're meeting, there's this tension. Because at any point, one person takes out a sword. In fact, you ever seen those scenes that's really tense? And one person flinches and they all go, Like this for the swords, you're like, oh, gosh, it's on. Here we go. More bloodshed. No, I can't look. Because, I mean, swords and, and heads just don't work well together, do they? And so I want us to feel the tension that's happening this night. They brought those weapons thinking maybe the followers would break out and try to save Jesus. However, we know this. Jesus would not run. Jesus did not hide. And although an adrenaline-filled Simon Peter would brandish his blade, I don't know why I'm laughing, (laughs) and lop off an ear, what did Jesus do? He quickly rebuked his disciple, and he healed Malchus from his wound. No ifs, ands, or buts. And when I see this moment, when I can picture the background and the backdrop of what's happening and the tension in the air, what else would Jesus do? Had Jesus not stopped the violence immediately and followed up with a complete healing of Malchus' ear, more blood may have been spilled. And how many know that Jesus never wants to see human blood spilled? He himself took on what humanity has done to each other for centuries over and over and over. Because that's how we believe we answer questions, is through violence, through death. And Jesus said no. In fact, I believe that's why the resurrection was the vindication of the way of Jesus to say, no, stop the violence, stop the retribution, stop the bloodshed. So what does Jesus do? He heals, he heals the ear of a perceived enemy. But think about this. Jesus was in complete control of the situation. He didn't run away. He didn't hide. He faced his accusers head on with courage, with purpose and resolve. He made sure it was just him they were after and even negotiated in this tense moment, negotiated the release of his disciples. What did he say? If you seek me, let these go their way. Isn't that awesome? Through all this that's going on, Jesus said, let them go. Take me. I'm the one you're after. And so what did they do? They arrest him. When did they arrest him? In the late hours of Thursday night. It rolls into the early hours of Friday with a trial that honestly would not be legal according to Jewish standards and customs of the day. This is the when. What about the where? Malchus lost his ear to the sword of Simon Peter in the garden of, do we remember? Gethsemane. Now, this is located on the side of the Mount of Olives. And in order to get to the garden... They had to travel. We see right here in in these verses, they had to travel across the Kidron Valley. Now, John's gospel uh, account specifies that after Jesus completed his final teaching and prayers found in chapters 14 and 17, it says he led his small group of disciples across the Kidron Valley in verse 1 of chapter 18. Now, what is Kidron Valley? This was a ravine that was just a few hundred feet below the Temple Mount, just to the east. Now, the Kidner Valley is mentioned in other places in the Old Testament, I don't know if you know this, as a place where idols were burned. Whenever the people of Israel would come to them, sense their senses and realize, hey, we're, we're worshiping false gods, and so this was the area that they would burn the idols in reform and repentance for this worship. And so, you know, this was a well-known place. In fact, kings of the past in the Old Testament, King Asa, King Josiah, King Hezekiah, they had all been familiar with this very piece of land. But there's something here that's really awesome. Get this. The first time the Kidron Valley is named in the Bible was when another time of betrayal was taking place. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, Jesus' ancestor, King David, fled the city of Jerusalem after his son Absalom led a rebellion. Same place. Now think about this. Little did King David know that centuries later, another betrayal would take place as the mob would cross the ravine and enter in the garden where Jesus, the king of kings, would be waiting for his own betrayal. Isn't that wild? Two kings betrayed the same place. And again, Malchus was among them, and he would cross the same path that fateful night. So something's being set up here. And so, again, I I want us to see the history. I want us to see the geography of what's happening because sometimes it can just become a story, a story we just tell and we hear a million times and there's nothing that really sticks out for us, right? So that's the who, the what, the when, the where. What about the why? Malchus was part of the scene to really help fulfill the scriptures that were written about Jesus uh, as the Messiah Perhaps the most obvious one from the Old Testament is found in Isaiah 52.13 through 53.12, which is actually known as the suffering servant passage. See, for Jesus to be arrested and tried and crucified for the sins of the world, somebody, think about this, somebody had to be part of the party who would arrest him. Now, that actually makes me feel feel a little bit for, for Malchus. It wasn't like Malchus just one day had got a burr under his saddle and said, I don't like this Jesus guy. He didn't heal my mom. I'm going to go arrest him. I mean, he was a servant. He was told what to do, when to do it, and how long to do it. So he was the one summoned. Think about this, too. The high priest had more than one servant. Malchus happened to be the servant that was summoned that night to uh, you know, be him, represent him, in arresting Jesus. I think this is interesting here, but I don't think it was by accident. How about you? So Malchus was among many who played his part in this sequence of events. And yet, may we not forget that not one of the events that took place that night in the garden were outside of Jesus' understanding. It says that Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. Now, to me, this is like one of those moments where I'm like, it's easy to read that, but to realize that means you even know Malchus was coming, that Malchus would be there. You knew what Peter would do. You knew that your response to that would, to be, would be to heal the man that Peter injured. No matter what, Jesus knew what was going on. None of this caught Jesus off guard. Nothing that unfolded was a surprise to him. I mean, he had been agonizing in the garden through prayer as the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all detail this. He asked the Father to let this cup pass before him. However, he knew that this cup was meant for him to drink. And so, again, Malchus played a role that would never, that would never be the same. For, for that moment for Malchus, I try to put myself into where he was. He would have an encounter with Christ that would mark him forever and that he would never forget. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd remember having my ear cut off, let alone having it put back on and completely whole. How about you? And so, you know, a lot of this, you know, in in film, whenever they, they do an account of someone, you know, if it's Elvis or, you know, you name anyone in history, there's always this, this. They call it an artistic license, right? There's certain ways they can take it because sometimes you don't have all the information, so you try to fill in the blanks. And so, you know, as I was studying this, I was really just just meditating on what happened to Malchus that day. I mean, why was he mentioned in one scripture? We, we see the, the account in four gospels, but his name's only mentioned once in John. What was this moment like for him? And I do love with, you know, the cast of characters that have been playing the different roles, just to kind of see, like, in his testimony, he said that he saw the, the veil rent, that he saw these things happening. But, you know, what really happened to Malchus? And as we look at this and bring this to a close, we always have to ask the how, don't we? Because in a situation like this, how might the encounter between Malchus and Jesus be understood and applied by us? Every week we look for a way. how can we apply this? In an ironic way, Malchus was a servant who was in the presence of two high priests. Yes, we, we know that he worked for Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest. It was under the Caiphas' orders that Malchus was in the garden in the first place. This wasn't his doing, this wasn't his decision. He was there because he was summoned and ordered to do this. However, it was the great high priest Jesus who would change Malchus forever? Now, the writer of Hebrews names Jesus as the great high priest in Hebrews four. Start of verse fourteen, it says, "Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet." without sin aren't you glad the writer penned these words it's so great to see that jesus had emotion and jesus was human god in flesh was human but there was there was not a single way that he couldn't sympathize or empathize with us so what's the writer going to say let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help In time of need. See, Jesus, there was something about Jesus. He wasn't like the other priests, right? The true and great high priest Jesus would be sent to his death in part by a sort of false high priest in Caiaphas, and representing him was Malchus. But something interesting happens that night. Jesus, the great high priest, would heal the ear of this servant named Malchus. This demonstration of grace, mercy, and love would be continuing to do what he had already demonstrated in private with the washing of his followers' feet at the Passover meal. It was at the Last Supper he chose to demonstrate servanthood and empty himself on behalf of his friends. And it was in the Garden of Gethsemane that he would serve the servant who was bleeding and in pain with a touch unlike any he had ever known from a master. See, when we put it in that perspective, Caiaphas was really the master of Malchus. And in looking at this, he had never received such love and grace as he did from the high priest, the great high priest, Jesus. So what did this do in his heart at that moment? What decision did he make from there? We really don't know. But also, what can we learn and what can we apply from Malchus here? Well, number one is this. Be careful who you follow. I know it seems so simple, but be careful who you follow. Malchus was on the wrong side of history and lost an ear for it. So be careful. Who you decide to follow matters. Now, you know, I get it. He was a slave. He was a servant. We don't know how that came about. So maybe he didn't have a lot of control of that. But again, Who you decide to follow matters. Number two, and this is more how Jesus responded to Malchus in the moment where he cut off or where Simon's uh, cut off his ear. Number two, live out the power of forgiveness. Live out the power of forgiveness. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to love our enemies. In fact, in Matthew 5, 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, say, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now think about this. What better way can Jesus demonstrate love of enemy than to heal the very person who is there to falsely accuse and arrest him? How many of us could do that? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I might be like, Good one, Peter. You should have got a little more on the neck, but sorry, dude. It's your own fault, right? I'm just being honest. But Jesus didn't. He rebuked Peter. Think about this. He rebuked Peter. This is his boy. This is Peter's just trying to protect him, right? He's saying, no, 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 no. At one point, he says, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. He's trying to say, the kingdoms of this world, they fight and die. That's not what we're about. Put the sword away. sheath the sword. And then what do do? he immediately heals Malchus here. This amazes me. But this next one, I was reading this this morning, and just, you know, stuff jumps off the page. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies, which Jesus obviously showed here, and pray for those who persecute you. Something just came alive in me. I thought, if Jesus already knew everything that was going to happen, was he praying for Malchus as well in an agonizing time? I mean, Pray for those who persecute you. That just, to me, that was just like, wow, Jesus. I mean, I want to be able to live that way because I know I can't every time. I just, I don't every time. I'm better than I was two years ago and five years ago and 10 years ago. But man, to know that someone's going to betray you, to know, I mean, think about this, Judas, another one, just a quick little side note, little side note. Judas, he knew was going to betray him and he still gave him the, the, the Passover meal. He still gave him the Eucharist. I mean, think about this. That's true love. And in that moment in the garden as he's praying, what if he saw the face of Malchus? I mean, how much love must be in your heart to say when that happens, he will be healed. He is not my enemy. He may see me as the enemy, but he is not my enemy. And then he goes on to explain God. He says, well, first of all, he says, why do we do this? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, so you can display what it looks like to be a true child. You are. You may not know it yet, or you may have just discovered it, or you may have been walking in it a little bit, but this is how it looks when we reflect that same love for enemy and praying for those who persecute you. Why? Even God shows it. Uh, on, on, on general occasions. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? <laughs> and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then he says this, Be perfect. The Greek word literally means mature. Be mature, therefore, as your heavenly father is mature. In other words, Jesus is saying, can we mature to a place where we no longer see others as enemies, where we can love those people, even if they are trying to arrest you, even if they are trying to falsely accuse you in those moments, can we love them and pray for them? He was being persecuted. Maybe he didn't pray during his prayer time in the garden before the arrest, but we know that he prayed to heal him. We know that he took care of that that fast. Paul tells us, bear with each other and forgive one another, even or if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And we see time and time again, this is how Jesus forgives. It doesn't matter if you're perceived an enemy or a friend. Jesus forgives. So, number one, be careful who you follow. Number two, live out the power of forgiveness. And number three, our final for today. Sometimes doing the right thing isn't easy. Sometimes doing the right thing isn't easy. And so, this is where I started to do a little bit of that artistic license thinking on this. After, I mean, Malchus is there, he's doing his job, he's doing his duty, he's arresting Jesus. You know, he, he may have heard one side of the story. How many know that there's always three sides of the story? There's, there's two sides, you know, their side, you know, his side, and then the truth somewhere in the middle. But we don't know what side that Malchus heard. Most likely he heard the bad about Jesus and that this was something that had to happen and it was, it was right. But after his ear was healed, think about this. Malchus was likely confronted with a choice. Do I continue to follow my leader's orders or do I question those actions and beliefs of my leader? Think about that for a minute. As he's standing there, there's no more information. But you know, sometimes I think that's for a reason. You know, in the story of Jonah, for instance, in the story of um, the older brother in the parable of Jesus you see these moments where they say what's happening, but then they don't quite finish the story. Why? I think that's for a reason. So we can ask ourselves questions about ourselves. We can look at ourselves through the light of these others who had encounters with Christ or in the story that Jesus was telling or in maybe a a prophet that we read.
0: What did Melchizedek do?
1: Part of me wishes that he just ran from there and fled and said, I'm not part of this anymore. I don't want to be part of this. This man is not who they say he is. But maybe he did stay along. Maybe he feared for his life and didn't know what to do. Maybe he still, even after the healing, thought that Jesus deserved this. We don't know. But I think it's important to talk about overcoming fear and standing up for what is right. Even if it goes against the expectations of those around us. And I know in my own life, there's been many times where I felt like Holy Spirit was moving me a certain direction, but it wasn't easy. How would people see me? What would people think about this direction I'm going in life? Now, here's the thing. Every time you speak the truth, it should be in love, right? When you do something, it should never be looking down your nose at someone else and saying, hey, I finally got it and you didn't. The point is, sometimes doing the right thing isn't easy. But I love what the proverb tells us. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, say all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It's in moments like these. And again, we don't know what happened to Malchus, but what about us? Has there been opportunities that we felt the Holy Spirit was laying on our heart and we chose not to go that route because of what others thought? No condemnation. No condemnation. But just something to think about. And so, what do we learn? We we learn through his example. First of all, be wise and careful in who you follow. It's important who you follow. I'll, I'll say this: every time I've chose to follow Jesus, and any decision in life, it was the right decision. Because Holy Spirit will never lead you astray. And I've said this before: Holy Spirit's not a prankster. It's not like, hey, yeah, do this, and he do. He's like, I'm just kidding never happens with the Holy Spirit. We can trust God. We can trust Holy Spirit. Be wise and careful in who you follow. Also, choose to walk out of life in the power of forgiveness. This is another thing that isn't isn't easy, and it actually can go right right along with number three. Do the right thing over, you know, going with the crowd. Sometimes you might be in a situation where you know that you should offer forgiveness in this situation, because shouldn't we always? but you have people around you say, no, I would never do that. How could you do that? You actually get read the riot act because you're doing what you're supposed to do. And so I look at the life of Malchus. It's just a small little blip in time, but what happened to him? My hope is that he sensed I love it in the testimony there where he said, I just looked in his eyes and I could see the love. I could see the grace. He could see that he wasn't a man who was guilty of what they were charging him. And he even healed him, even though he was a perceived enemy. I hope that Malchus went on to say, I follow you, Jesus. I follow you over all others. Amen. Will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. It's so sufficient. It's just so beautiful in the gospel message to know that there's nothing we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing we can do to magically put ourselves in a position to be in relationship with you. You simply provided everything. It's there. And all we have to do is say yes. And it's not just a one-time yes. It's a daily, lifelong journey of yes. Salvation is something we work out. You've given us the healing and and, and the, the deliverance and the safety and the preservation, everything we ever need, but it's a working out. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, just say this with me. Jesus, I say yes. Whatever you ask of me, I say yes. I receive your salvation. It's mine. Thank you for healing. Thank you for deliverance. It's mine. In Jesus' name. Help me, Holy Spirit, to love my enemy, to pray for those who persecute me till it becomes second nature. It's just something I do because that's who I am. In Jesus' name, thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv.
0: As always...